2: The President and Speaker of the House, Kevin McCarthy, met yesterday and uh, said some nice things about their negotiations. We can talk a little bit about that later. Mostly, I want to mention the main stupid thing that gets reported every time this story comes up (laughs) to to key in on that.
3: Yeah, and we ought to talk about... Retirement programs, not just in the U.S., but uh, around the developed world, the 20th century and the 21st century are very, very different from each other in demographic terms. And a lot of the assumptions that were built up in, say, 1934 or 78 or even, you know, uh, 1988, um, they don't hold anymore. So stay tuned for that. There's practically no politicians who have the guts to do anything about it. But, you know, that's uh, pretty much a constant comment. So one of the more uh, interesting things about my college education, I studied uh, political science broadly, but uh, comparative politics, international relations. And one of the things that I got hip to, there's a dewy-eyed young man with nothing but lasses and intoxication on my mind. Uh, In spite of that, I did learn some stuff. And that was uh, my childish uh, naivete fell away as I realized that international relations is transactional. There are you know, certainly alliances, hey, you're a democracy, we're a democracy, we think democracy is better, and these people are threatening, you know, democracy, so let's band together. And, you know, that's, that's pretty much what it seems to be. Uh, and that happens a lot. But in terms of, like, uh, foreign aid and outreach and bringing uh, other countries into your orbit or keeping them out of the other guy's orbit, oh, that is so ugly and transactional. Like some of the regimes we, the United States, backed in Central America, for instance. Loathsome dictatorships. Well, the alternative was a loathsome communist dictatorship. Likewise, you know, Southeast Asia, there are a bunch of different examples. Africa. Oh, my God. Don't get me started about Africa. Yeah, come on. Uh, So anyway, uh, in that spirit, a couple of stories. Um, We are going to boost our military role in the Philippines to counter China. Specifically, uh, four. We're going to gain. We've gained access to four more sites and are going to build big old military uh, uh, facilities, bases, etc. Uh, in various sites around the Philippines, all to counter China and as a springboard if they invade
2: Taiwan and things get ugly. Is this an American version of the Belt and Road Initiative?
3: Uh, kind of, although with with serious differences, which we'll get to in a second. Um. This is interesting. The deal comes as Washington has tried to reaffirm its influence in the region amid a broader effort to counter Chinese aggression, reinforcing partnerships with strategic allies, etc. Fears have also, including some that have soured in recent years, fears have also grown over a possible Chinese invasion of uh, Taiwan among the five treaty allies that the U.S. has in Asia. The Philippines and Japan are the most geographically close to Taiwan. The Philippines' northernmost island of itbayat If that's uh, uh, the incorrect pronunciation, I apologize to Filipinos everywhere. Uh, it's just 93 miles away from Taiwan. 93 miles in wow. military terms is, uh, this is right next door. Sure. So evidently... Uh, the Philippines is back to being more friendly than they've been in the past, and they're going to get a bunch of money out of it, of course, and a bunch of aid and development and, and the rest
2: of it. But. So we have four more bases in the Philippines. Japan doubles its military budget and now spends the third most of any country in the world because of China. I like this. The, I, I agree with the philosophy that the best way to avoid a war with China is to make it clear to China that it would be a hell of a battle. It ain't going to be easy. Uh, that the cost would be too high for them to want to engage in a war. The downside of that uh, thinking is that's how we ended up with World War One. If you had, if you have everybody building up to fight a war that they think is coming, you kind of just end up on a track toward that war happening. hmm Yeah, yeah, it has happened.
3: Worth mentioning that old uh, Duterte. Remember him, the president of the Philippines, who would like drag people in the street and have them uh, executed for dealing drugs, allegedly pushed uh, out of go-
2: helicopters sometimes. Remember that? Mm, indeed, that's He's right. He's
3: throwing people out of helicopters. Woof. Drug dealers. That's a
2: interesting way to pull off your capital punishment.
3: He's out, and the new modern reformer guy is in, and uh, those of us old enough to remember might be amused by the fact that the new president of the Philippines, <clears throat> as of last June, is President Ferdinand Marcos Jr. Really? Yeah, the uh, Marcos family were the dictators of the Philippines who got overthrown in, what, the 70s or 80s? I can't remember. Um, so... Craziness. Meanwhile, Indonesia, three hundred million people in Indonesia, a rapidly rising three
2: hundred million.
3: Yes, yes, sir. Are you sure about that? It's the fourth most populous country on earth. Well, I it's
2: barely behind us.
3: Well, yeah, we're yeah, third. It's, it's growing like a weed. Wow. Too. And if that metaphor is somehow insulting to the people of Indonesia, I apologize for that as well. But, yes, it's a fast-growing, trillion-dollar economy, large, young population, strategic location. The uh, Indonesia is made up of 17,000 islands.
2: Did not know that? I mean, it's an I know, incomprehensible I, I, number. I know that I've learned that like 50 times. I will forget that once again. But uh, that is a lot of islands.
3: Well, and it straddles thousands of miles of vital sea lane. And according to this analysis in the New York Times, it's a defensive necessity as both sides gear up china and us well china in the free world uh gear up for a possible conflict over taiwan uh china has delivered sizable investments to win over a wary populace in indonesia they've actually got an incredibly hostile history with china and chinese communists there was like a big uprising when was that i can't remember um several decades ago 1965 um, the Chinese communists were, were infiltrating the country and getting more and more powerful And the Chinese Communist or the Communist Party was uh, talking about taking over Indonesia. And so they had rampaging mobs seeking out communists and they killed. Brace yourself now. These rampaging mobs, at least half a million people, including many ethnic Chinese. This is in 1965, a death toll not unlike the United States Civil War that was just a cleansing of the commies. How crazy is that? Wow. So fast forward, you know, 55, 60 years, and China's spending tons of money. This is your Belt and Road Initiative in Indonesia trying to buy favor um, and, uh, and the Indonesians are like, yeah, sure, just keep laying the bucks on there, big daddy Winnie the Pooh, <laughs> Xi Jinping. And, uh, and an interesting comment uh, from the Coordinating Minister of Maritime and Investment Affairs, which is quite the title. Uh, he said of the Chinese and their money during a recent interview, they never, ever dictate. He said that American officials often come with a list of onerous conditions before an investment can be approved. I told Washington about this, quote, the way you deal with us, forget it. It's the actual quote from the minister of what's its. Um, and so and this is how freaking transactional foreign relations are. And those of you who thought foreign aid was charity, I get why you thought that, because that's the way it's always portrayed. That's the way it's sold. We're lifting up the poorer, beleaguered people of Indonesia. Did you know their infant mortality rate is blah, blah, blah? And <laughs> right. How uh, uh, the, the cancer in Indonesia, blah, blah, blah. No, you're just trying to buy their allegiance. Um, and, and sometimes the nice things happen. I mean, the United States has lifted billions of people out of poverty through our uh, you know, generosity through the years.
2: But Although here's the way if, it works. If, if, if the amount of money... From, for instance, pandemic relief got stolen as it did in the United States, spending Mm -hmm. it in our own country. Like gazillions of dollars went to prisoners and stuff like that. Imagine how much of it gets stolen when it's sent overseas for some do-good program. Oh, absolutely. It's got to be
3: insane. As long as the right people steal it, you have the effect you're looking for. Because you know, in Indonesia, you got the various uh, uh, shadowy political powers, movers and shakers, and actually uh, elected folks who are like, "Yeah, we got to keep the uh, spigot going from China." So here's what we got to do. For instance, here's a great for instance for you: Indonesia is a majority Muslim country. It's voted in favor of China's position at the UN on Beijing's persecution of the Uyghur Muslim group. They've said, oh, no, China's not doing anything wrong. We love what China's doing. Those Uyghurs, they need some reforming. This is a Muslim-majority country who at the U.N. said, up with the persecution of the Uyghurs to keep the money flowing. And in the halls of uh, the leading regional bloc, which is the Association of Southeast Asian Nations, diplomats say Indonesia is a consistent cheerleader for China's untrammeled economic involvement in all 10 member nations. China is buying a giant sphere of influence to control that part of the world with their delightful communist principles. So don't trust China. That's the way it really works.
2: And that's why we want four more military bases in the Philippines.
3: Yeah, and that's why we're going to continue to try to bribe the uh, Indonesians and try to do it more effectively than China. But it's tough because, you know, nobody votes on, you know, there's no Congress in China that actually votes. It's just a rubber stamp. So if Xi Jinping says, yeah, carve off like $10 billion, uh, build a, build a uh, high-speed rail in Indonesia. I don't care how long it takes or how over budget it is. Just do it. There you go. You got the Indonesian power structure saying yay for China. And, and if, you know the uh, the poo and I don't mean Winnie the Pooh I mean the proverbial poo hits the fan Indonesia's going to be on China's side
2: so how about later this hour we get into all the correspondence we got from people in law enforcement in the know about some of the statistics we were discussing yesterday around police violence cops shooting people and all that sort of stuff mm-hmm. police reform and hiring yeah. and retirements and all sorts of topics yeah I want to hear about that. Uh, coming up, I want to talk a little bit about the movie Groundhog Day, which I watched with my kids last night, and, uh, and what that means for, uh, uh, well, what it means, uh, among other things. Boy, Tom Brady's new career is going to be interesting, <laughs> if, if you haven't been paying attention to that. His new career starts roughly in a week and a half. Um, Ug model? Uh, well, he got paid almost $400 million to be the number one analyst for Fox. Mm. And that's looking like they're going to trot him out for the Super Bowl here in a week and a half. But Man, that's a heck of an investment. That's a lot of money. Yeah. Yeah.
3: Their current league analyst, Greg Olson, is that his name? Who's really, really good, is
2: not thrilled. What are you going to do? I'll I'll bet not. Um, uh, But lots of stuff on the way. Stay with us.
0: Armstrong and Getty.
1: Thank you. Out there every day. What is this, Miami Beach? Uh, I think- hardly.
2: That's right, Woodchuck Chuckers. It's Groundhog Day! Get up and check that hog out there! Yeah. Yeah. Sui, sui. Come here, Groundhog! <laughs> you know, one of my least favorite parts of the uh, movie Groundhog Day is its portrayal of morning radio. It's just, uh, it's demeaning. No, it's insulting. I don't know. <laughs> Accurate. So I watched the first half of the movie with my kids last night. uh, The early 90s flick starring Bill Murray with the premise briefly stated is you get stuck in the same day over and over and over again. And what would you do if that happened to you? And my kids just love the first half. I'm going to be interested to see how they react to the second half where uh, all the, uh, the learning and the teaching comes in of the movie Groundhog Day. I'm reading from a piece that Jonah Goldberg wrote in the National Review years ago. But this was still many years after the movie came out in the early 90s. And he wrote, I discovered I wasn't alone in my interest in the movie Groundhog Day. In the years since its release, the film has been taken up by Jews, Catholics, Evangelicals, Hindus, Buddhists, Wiccans, and followers of the oppressed Chinese Falun Gong movement. Wow. The Internet has many weighty philosophical treatises on the deep Platonist... Uh, Aristillian, I can't pronounce these words, that'd be the uh, view of the world seen by Plato or Aristotle, and existentialist themes providing the skin and bones beneath the film's clown makeup. Um, many pastors have sent excerpts from sermons in which Groundhog Day was a central metaphor. Uh, there are uh, countless professors who have their lectures posted on the internet where they use it to teach ethics and a host of philosophical approaches, all from the movie Groundhog Day. With mm-hmm. Bill Murray. I was mentioning this to a friend last night who said, you mean the Bill Murray movie? Yes, the Bill Murray movie.
3: There are fewer such treatises about
2: Caddyshack, nor
3: Ghostbusters.
2: Or Stripes. Um, and in a wonderful essay for Christian magazine Touchstone, theology professor Michael P. Foley wrote that Groundhog Day is a stunning allegory of moral, intellectual, and even religious excellence in the face of postmodern decay. A sort of Christian Aristilian Pilgrim's Progress for those lost in the contemporary cosmos. I would agree, and that's what I think my kids are going to get out of it. Charles Murray, author of Human Accomplishment, cited Groundhog Day as one of the few cultural achievements of recent times that will be remembered centuries from now. Wow. That's a heck of a statement. Huh. Quoting the New Yorker, declaring it is a brilliant moral fable offering uh, 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 the view Aristotle put forth of the world. And then finally, I'll read this a little bit of this poem that If you remember the movie, Bill Murray, among other things. So when he realizes he's stuck in the same day over and over again, he did the same thing that my kids immediately jumped to before he even started it. Oh, my God, you could do anything you want, which he does, including like uh, trying to bed a whole bunch of different women. I'm going to skip that section of the movie for my kids eating an entire table full of pastries, you know, all different sort of stuff like that. (laughs) And the uh, Annie McDowell character quotes a poem to him and says, the wretch, concentrated all in self, living shall forfeit fair renown, and doubly dying shall go down to the vile dust from whence he sprang, unwept, unhonored, and unsung. Oh, in other words, living for your, living for yourself and self-pleasure is going to get you nowhere. And Bill Murray quickly realizes that th- all the fun's gone out of this. I just I'm not enjoying this. I'm miserable. And when he turns later in the movie, if you haven't seen it toward, Spending all his time every day trying to help people, including like he knows when a kid falls out of a tree every day. So he times his walk so he can catch the kid before he hits a sidewalk. He spends mm. his whole day trying to do good. That's when he becomes happy. And that's when he is spoiler alert for a 35 year old movie. That's when he is released from his hell. That is the same misery every single day, which is true for all of us. You live for self-pleasure, and you're locked in an endless cycle of just never quite being satisfied. Once you turn toward helping others and everything, you're unlocked from that hellish cycle into a whole new world of opportunity. So the beast see its shadow or not? I'm hearing a lot of <laughs> blah, blah, blah here. And that's why there was six more weeks of winter.
3: <laughs> wow. That's some heavy stuff. So if you had the chance to relive every day anew, what would you do? What would bring joy? What would
2: not? Satisfaction, etc. cetera. Well, wow. he tries getting drunk, betting women, and eating, but it doesn't last very long that he enjoys it. Yeah, but you almost got to warm up to the good stuff with a few weeks of that. Yeah. <laughs> a few weeks. Right. <laughs> if you miss an hour of this show, get the podcast Armstrong and Getty On Demand.
0: Armstrong and Getty.
3: The Armstrong and Getty
0: Show.
2: Sort of a deep discussion about the movie Groundhog Day and the meaning of life. Got this text. You know, the mayor in that movie is Bill Murray's brother. All right. And, well, so maybe. Wow. Maybe I wasted my time. I don't know. <laughs> Um, I, I think there's a, a growing I've thought this for a while, it hasn't materialized, but I think it might be starting now a growing uh, a movement in the Republican Party away from supporting the war in Ukraine. Trump might be the end up being the leader of it and he is a big voice and maybe that's how he differentiates differentiates makes himself different from the other candidates. Uh, but more on that later. Yeah, we
3: have some correspondence to share with you on one particular topic before we get into that topic. This from Mary. Hi, guys. While Dr. Phil McGraw is no TB12, that would be uh, Tom Brady, the greatest of all time quarterback. He is the GTVQOT, the greatest TV quack of all times. (laughs) His announcement today that he's leaving daytime television we me wondering, uh, will be like Dr. Oz? Will he run for political office only to lose to a lefty who's been in a coma since 1998? Oh, the possibilities. That overstates the uh, Senator Fetterman's issues. But uh, then Mary signs off C M O I M L S. Catch me outside in my little shoes, which is fairly clever. Our I'm loving in my tribute. My
2: little tie in my little shoes. That's right. Uh,
3: our loving tribute to <laughs> the utterly amoral TV quack coming up. Uh maybe I don't know the end of this half hour sure. have time uh, who who cares Uh <clears throat> moving along so a lot of people have weighed in via the email mailbag at com on the uh, on the various side topics related to the uh, killing of the gentleman in Memphis uh, at the hands of the police uh, and uh, and the state of policing and, and training and and also Jack a lot of it was a reaction to our our discussion yesterday about um, how the actual statistics about police stops and violence and black and white and the rest of it are, are are completely different than the narrative would will have you believe, number one. And number two, when one of these incidents goes viral, the police pullback that inevitably happens results in a great deal of mayhem and death.
2: Right. God help you if your town has one of these incidents where it goes viral and there's all the focus on the police force because it ends up being bad for your town.
3: Let me characterize it like this. And, Jack, tell me if if this squares with what Jason Riley was writing. If you had a big, uh, a, a, a very well publicized event of the sort we're talking about goes viral. It's on the TV news. And like the next day, a similar one, but not quite as compelling, or it's just kind of second in the gate. That one happens, and it doesn't go nearly as viral. There's not nearly as much attention. But the city council in that place and the police department and the city fathers and activist groups, they all get together and work on it. They work on police reform, et cetera. In the viral city, there will be a huge police pullback and a lot more crime and, and mayhem. In the city that goes about it earnestly and quietly, you won't see that pullback.
2: Right, and uh, nobody is arguing toward not paying attention to these things. They have to be very much paid attention to. you got a bunch of cops who murdered a guy in the street. That's horrible. Right. But it has to be dealt with in such a way that it doesn't make the police department want to stop being a police department somehow. I'm not exactly sure what the answer is.
3: Well, yeah, I think the question is, how do you prevent coverage of this sort of thing from becoming narrative-driven Uh, fever, frenzy, uh, propaganda, because that's what it becomes. Anyway, uh, getting back to our discussion of how uh, journalists and journalism schools now are openly saying objectivism, uh, being objective is a terrible idea. Anyway, moving along, uh, various emails. Mo has been writing uh, us these notes uh, for some time now, especially in the last uh, week. Um, This got 30 seconds on the news. Uh, Mr. Nichols' unfortunate death, about 10 minutes um, and it's yet another story about yet another law enforcement officer being gunned down. Now, Mo is a Californian, so restricts himself or herself to uh, California stories. But, yeah, there have been a number of cops killed in America in the last couple of days, and they get no attention, no coverage whatsoever. Uh, let's see, change the topic here on the topic of police uh, hiring. AJ writes, I'm a 15-plus year veteran of a department in the Pacific Northwest. In addition to a low number of applicants, we are passing people through our hiring and training processes that never would have been allowed to continue in the past due to issues from their background or difficulties they've had in training.
2: Oh, I've my heard God. From- We've heard this from way too many different l- levels, whether county sheriffs or city police or whatever in different parts of the country. That's not good.
3: And he says, I've heard uh, from people in several of the area departments who said it's the same with their recruits. This is going to have a long-term ripple effect we've only just begun to see. Yeah, I'd say that
2: is definitely not good news for society.
3: There are allegations kicking around online um, that the officers who beat to death uh, young Mr. Nichols in Memphis were hired through an alternate program trying to beef up. The Memphis Police Force and specifically the number of black officers. I haven't been able to find good, solid documentation of that. It may be true. I don't know. Uh, there's a lot of crap that gets printed, so you'll click yep. on it. <clears throat> sure does. Uh, let's see. Paul writes, guys, the f-, and this is such a good point, and it's so obvious. His topic is Memphis PD mystery. The five Memphis officers involved in the beating slash murder knew their actions were being recorded that didn't seem to inhibit them at all. None of them. It was as though a police unit was transformed into a wolf pack. Not only did they have no regard for the humanity of their suspect slash victim, they seemed no more concerned about the consequences of their actions for themselves. How does that happen? I think the Memphis PD has problems far beyond what can be explained by, quote, a few bad apples.
2: Yeah, that is an interesting element of the psychology of this really is. (laughs) <laughs> people were using the example of um a book about Nazi soldiers and how just regular people in a town were able to come to a point where they were able to, you know, murder Jews or whatever. Um, but you didn't have the concern that you were going to lose your job or end up in jail there. This situation, you'd think, as you've said, for your own self-preservation, mm-hmm. even if you're such a horrible human being, you don't mind beating an innocent, innocent man to death or being party to it, you think for your own preservation, you don't want to spend the rest of your life in jail. Right. Yeah. Well, and they may not have
3: known that that crime-stopping video camera was up on the light pole that caught so much of the beating, the Memphis cops. But they knew they were wearing body cameras, for goodness sakes. Right. And they knew all of them were. So, yeah, that's, you know, what, Paul, that's a good point. Uh, plunging on, uh, another slightly different topic. This is on the pullback of the police, the Ferguson effect, some people call it. I don't know that it needs a fancy name, but... Guys, if you were a uniformed officer working the street, especially in any decent sized city that has a minority population, if you had a spouse, kids, house, etc., and you knew you're just one bad call from being fired, arrested, jailed for something you did in the heat of the moment, no matter what your intentions were, of course, not beating a guy to death, you know, he says, uh, would you go out of your way to do any proactive enforcement activities? Police should be doing vehicle and person stops as part of the regular duties beyond responding to calls for service. Digging is how you find criminals doing stuff. If you know you'll be hung out to dry when something hits the Internet and the the media feeding frenzy begins, why not just drive around in your car all day and night and just do the minimum?
2: Go to calls if you're called and you have to, but yeah, why would you uh, think "Ah, that looks a little funky? I think I'll go check that out. If you have the option to not go check that out and have an interaction that might go bad sure well that clearly statistically it's known that that is going on
3: right and that's by a police veteran. And then to the culture of policing, I thought this was interesting. And if you're a new listener, uh, one thing that may be initially disconcerting about this show is we don't just present the one side and bellow how it's clearly right. And anybody who disagrees is a, a communist or a fascist or whatever. We there A lot of these things are kind of complicated. Um let's see nick anonymous writes uh on a note relating to police culture and covering for each other etc my father was a retired parole officer he reinforced that that tendency to me years ago um he mentioned a case in sacramento california where a young man was running for police through backyards eventually made it to his grandma's yard before pulling out a cell phone out of his pocket and getting shot multiple times by police In discussing that with my dad at the time, we ended up down a hypothetical path wherein he told me about the concept of a covering shot. It is essentially the idea that if your partner shoots at someone, you do too. Then you also claim that you saw the same threat that your partner saw, etc. If there are 10 cops present, it's expected that all of them will shoot too. The worst form of this is that one out of 10 cops will let someone else do the dirty work. The extent of the hypothetical was whether he would have shot the guy with a cell phone if he'd recognized ahead of time that he had a phone in his hand and not a weapon, but not in time to communicate that info to his partner. He said he would take the shot, no matter my arguments, which were sound, but he says, essentially, you're naive. Um, mm. And he says, uh, if it makes any difference, I'm an active duty Marine who has been to war three times. There are definitely some culture issues in policing. So, you know, Nick is not, uh, you know, a, a liberal city council member somewhere with a social degree. Um, that's interesting.
2: Yeah, it is. And, and troubling, too. Well, if all these stories are true, and I, I assume they are, about uh, lowering the standards to try to get enough people through the academy to have enough cops everywhere with the shortages going on, this is going to get worse before it gets better.
3: Yeah, we have a serious issue. You want to talk about systemic issues? This is one. So a quick word and a cheerier note from our friends at HelloFresh. I don't particularly like schlepping to the grocery store. I hate standing around the kitchen saying, what are you in the mood for? I don't know. What are you in the mood for? What are you in the mood for? Then kids say, kids saying, oh, we don't want any of that. How about HelloFresh? HelloFresh's chef-created recipes are delivered right to your door instead. Pre-portioned, pre-measured, so delicious you whip them up fresh in your kitchen. Yummy, yummy.
2: Meals at home again. Yep, The ingredients travel from the farm to your doorstep in just seven days, so you know they're super fresh. They've got their fast and fresh recipes, satisfying, flavorful uh, dishes, ready in just 15 minutes. Perfect for busy weeknights. They understand that families with kids have different needs than empty nesters, for instance, and
3: different tastes. It's super, super customizable. America's number one meal kit, HelloFresh. Sign up today for 65% off, plus free shipping with the code armstrong65 at hellofresh.com slash armstrong65. That's the code armstrong65 at hellofresh.com slash armstrong65.
2: I hate the clickbait headlines, and I try not to click on them because you're just uh, encouraging these organizations, when you click on, they fired me from my job because I'm too hot. <laughs> you know? Don't click on those stories. The stewardess told me my breasts were too big for coach. <laughs> oh, boy. Don't click on that story. If you want to look at a chick with big breasts, just Google big-breasted chicks. Look at it that way, all right? Oh, no, boy. But don't click on the news stories because you're watering down our news coverage. But this one I'm going to click on. I haven't. <laughs> Here we go. <laughs> My husband suffered a traumatic brain injury after he tried to do a backflip at our wedding. Oh, no. Wow. Oh, boy. And that's something. He had planned a big cool. He's going to jump up and do a backflip and everybody in front of everybody. Everybody's going to cheer. And he landed on his neck. Oh, my. Yeah. 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 I did not. I, I will not ever try to do a backflip. I'm telling you, I can pull this off 99 times out of 100.
3: Here I go. Uh, I wonder if he'll end up on Dr. Phil. No, probably not, because <laughs> Dr. Phil is retiring. We have a loving tribute to the quack coming up.
2: <laughs> <laughs> a loving tribute to Dr. Phil, among other things, on the way.
0: Armstrong and Getty.
3: The Armstrong and Getty Show.
2: It was just announced that after 21 seasons, Dr. Phil's daytime talk show is coming to an end. Yeah, today Dr. Phil released a really touching statement about his retirement. He said, Catch me outside. How about that? Uh, Dr. Phil made gazillions of dollars exploiting the mentally ill or people with uh, substance abuse problems and acting like he was trying to help them. He is a a fraud and a bad person. And I don't understand why more people don't understand that. He does make a tremendous amount of money. His net worth is uh, seen to be somewhere near half a billion dollars. He's worth about 470 million dollars. Boy, if you've been
3: a successful daytime syndicated TV show for as long as he has, I believe it.
2: Well, he makes, as he retires, $38 million a year from his TV show. $38 million a year! Jimmy Fallon, host of the freaking Tonight Show, probably makes, I don't know, 15 $20. doctor Phil makes $38 million a year hosting that freaking stupid show that only makes the world worse. <laughs> wow, and, there's a lot of
3: harsh judgment going on here. I yeah, don't appreciate it, yeah,
2: and correct judgment. <clears throat> His total yearly earnings are somewhere between sixty and ninety million because he does so many endorsements and speaking engagements and swag and other things. So freaking Dr. Phil makes like $90 million a year. (laughs) Sells Dr. Phil's quack, quack duck food.
3: (laughs) Going down to your local pond at your local park, bring Dr. Phil's quack, quack duck food with you.
2: Well, he engaged in the easier uh, arena of quackery than even Dr. Oz, because Dr. Oz, you know, you get into medical stuff. There are studies, and it's easy to, like, nail down whether this pill actually does anything. But if you're a so-called therapist... Helping people with troubles. Right. I mean, whatever. I mean, that's that's gobbledygook to start with. Anyway, troubles like a disobedient child. Yeah, this is one of our favorite clips. This is when uh, she was just a mouthy teenager, right? She goes on Dr. Phil, becomes famous for her various catchphrases, and then starts a singing career for which she is still making money off of? Singing, rapping, Bahad Bahabi is her current stage name right anyway this is how she started on Dr. Phil pretending he's trying to help people
3: so what do you think is going to
1: happen when you happen to steal somebody's car that disagrees with that and decides that they're
3: going to drop a hammer on you and prosecute you to the full extent of the law my time in
2: jail jail ain't nothing what that's what I always do and they never catch me ain't nobody gonna
1: catch me.
3: Because you're too streetwise?
1: Yup. And all these hoes laughing like so funny. What? She's talking about the audience. That they're laughing at her.
3: Did Did you say the, the the hoes are laughing?
1: Yep. So the audience are a bunch of hoes?
0: Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Catch me yes. outside, how about that?
1: Huh?
3: Catch me outside, how about that?
1: Catch you outside? What does that mean? <laughs> what I just said. Catch her outside and she'll go outside and do what she has to do.
3: Her interpreter mother there, yes she's trying to say (laughs) she'll be waiting outside if you'd like to engage in fisticuffs.
2: Daytime television might be proof that people can't govern themselves. (laughs) Bad baby
3: with a vote in your favor there, Jack.
2: So you just called the audience a bunch of hoes?
0: Yup, and everybody cheers. Whoa, right? Yes. the bratty hose. little kid
2: who's going to end up on public assistance and just called his hoes. Woo! And all these hoes laughing like so funny.
3: Of course, she, actually, she is paying so much income tax. She's built a super highway.
2: <laughs> she is the rare exception of someone who's at least briefly found a way to make a living. I still am not optimistic about her long-term uh, happiness and employment. Oh, that reminds me,
3: coming up, Chad Cinco Johnson, flamboyant NFL receiver on how to manage your money. And it may surprise you.
2: Okay. Um, but you remember when Dr. Phil came on the scene, he was a protege of Oprah. And it was kind of a slow-talking Texas country wisdom that he's going to bring You know, the straight talk that's lacking in this modern, fancy-pants, complicated world. Which, that actually might have been what he started with, but he figured out, hey, I get weirdos or drug addicts or whatever on here, emotionally abused people. I poke them with a stick until they say things, and then I get a bunch of viewers and I get crazy rich. Yup. I don't actually have to help
3: anybody. (laughs) Yup. If I can get a couple of their crazy relatives in here, too, and it'll be a zoo. This'll be (laughs) fabulous.
2: One of our favorite episodes is when uh, he had Lindsay Lohan's mom on, who was clearly drunk out of her mind at the time. We might feature that uh, long feature, that long uh, segment for our podcast that we do called One More Thing. Yep, we do four hours every day and then another little segment called One More Thing, and you can check that out.
3: Just got an email from somebody saying how much they love One More Thing. Really? Really? Is that true, yeah. or did you just they, say that Is No, it no, it's true. It's absolute, I would never do that. I have high ethics, sir. Uh, they, they like to line them up and listen to them one after the other because the topics tend to be less torn from today's headlines than most of the show and uh, somewhat random.
2: Here's a little tease. This was Lindsay Lohan's mom when she was on Dr. Phil.
1: I'm in my little tie and my little shoes. Oh,
2: that's right. So she was drunk, and you sit there in your little tie and your little shoes telling people what to do. <laughs> what the hell does that mean? <laughs> If you miss an hour of the show, get the podcast. Armstrong and Getty on demand. Armstrong and Getty. We went from
0: normal life, healthy child to acute lymphoblastic leukemia or B-cell, ALL. The St. Jude team came up to get CJ via ambulance. Shortly after that, I noticed a rainbow. It meant that there was hope. We were driving into hope. To have hope is to have your child healthy, and we have that because of St. Jude. You can help kids fight childhood cancer. Please become a St. Jude Partner in Hope
1: today by visiting musicgives.org. This message comes from Viking, committed to exploring the world in comfort. Journey through the heart of Europe on an elegant Viking longship with thoughtful service, destination-focused dining, and cultural enrichment